2: It is the Friday show, it's Neil Atkinson uh, in front of me, I've got Jim Johnson, Kev Walsh and Pete Bolster uh, And to join us on the phone, I've got Jack Collins, Alex Hurst and Natalie Bromley, Fulham, Newcastle, United and Burnley respectively through there uh, We will start off with Fulham versus Manchester United, uh, you're bored yet?
3: Hey, no, I'm loving it me. I know you're here, uh, I think you're maybe consuming a bit too much Gary Neville Um, I'm taking great delight in watching them be absolutely terrible. I love seeing the the ground falling down. I love seeing the players be absolutely shit. I love seeing the fact that the captain... I just think it's mad
2: that the players... Like, they keep buying more players, and the players are still not very good. Like, it's like this endless... Morass Of this Honestly every single one of them Is a new one Sorry for two games Nice no, crap
3: I've seen Liverpool do it For the, to the, to the love of my youth I've seen I, Arsenal
4: that, do it as well you know, I yeah. can take
3: great delight In them bastards Being fucking miserable Re- The other good thing about it is <coughs> They're convinced That it's somebody else's fault And not that fraud of a manager Because he is Garbage in mate Absolute load of shite As you said, the players are mostly shites as well, which is phenomenal to see. They're probably the best one you've got. They don't even play him, Sancho, (laughs) because he hates them as well.
4: For for every Mario and Chamac, there's always an Alexis Sanchez, and for every Alexis Sanchez who goes to Manchester United. And that's where, apparently, strikers go to die. (laughs) Are you bored? I'm
5: bored. I'd, I'd 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 like them to be a little bit better. Not because I'm scared they're going to sack him They are my favourite team to watch in the whole Premier League. I, I think it's fantastic. Every, every time I see them live, I'm. I'm, I'm well, you're going to enjoy. We're going
2: to do review review extra on them next week. Me, Dan Morgan, and Sean Rogers yeah, well, We're going to yeah. do Fulham. We are going to do it. I, uh, I love it,
5: Neil. I love I love Gary Neville. I love him saying Manchester United Football uh-huh. Club. I, I, I love it all. I've even got a Gary Neville poster. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to ask him to sign it. I think it's fantastic. It's. We said off off air before, but, but he ruined my childhood, and and I am absolutely loving
4: every moment of but this.
2: But aren't you
5: worried they're going to sack him? A little bit,
3: but So the, what? Who are they going
2: to get? Yeah,
4: that doesn't mean anything, does it? I mean, let's be They're honest. they sacked other ones. Well, no, yeah. well exactly. The, 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 you so God knows that's what they do. You, so, the end of the day, it's all about finishing in the top four, isn't it? Right? And there are going to be some big heavyweight teams who do not finish in the top four this season. Now, you look at what happens. There's always, inevitably a new manager bounce when they sack a manager, but... It sets your, pl- your, your planning back. 18 months minimum. And, you know, you only have to look at what's happened with Emery at Villa, right? Emery is quite clearly a good manager, right? Arsenal took a punt on Emery because they knew he was the best, most experienced manager at the time on, on the market. But Arsenal were a shambles, you know? So he walked into an absolute shitstorm. Whoever takes that job will be doing the same thing. That's what you think, yeah.
3: Who who's appointing them? Do you know what I mean? There's no one there who you think yeah he's gonna make the right decision. They've got the fellow from uh, Ineos coming in. Apparently he's but but he's he's been in France and he hasn't done anything with that club over there, has he? I'm honestly, I'm, I just think sit back, relax, and just enjoy the fact that for years they fucking haunted your dreams, and now every time you turn the telly on. There's some fucking clown fall, falling over some other clown and some team that never used to beat them in a million years, or even score a goal against them, as one three nil at Old Stafford. It's
2: Fucking great! It's uh, I. I don't see what what I would stops or changes because I
3: who's actually going to get next, sorry.
2: I don't, I don't know who they get next. I mean, I might I might look it up in a second on my next odds. But what I think rather interesting is, like, I think when Klopp gets in to use the Klopp thing, so that we're not in great shape, but I think he's able to like put circles around some players and go right. I can work with these for a year I can work with these for two years and there's a smattering who might take me to the promised land and there might be a little bit of movement but no one goes backwards if you see what I mean the yeah. players who might be able to take me to the promised land don't become only two year options it's a Venn diagram the two, yeah the two year options don't. Be, the, the, everything moves forward if you see what I mean maybe one of the ones he thought might be a two year option becomes promised land but I don't think it goes the other way like I think he's able to make that assessment I don't know I don't think there's any of them in there apart from maybe McTominay, which I know sounds mad, mm-hmm. as a squad player. Fiorley is <laughs> a squad player, because he's six foot three, can win his headers and can play centre mid for you and centre half, who you go could take you through to the promised land. That, I think that's I, you, Johnny I'm, Evans. I just can't be having <laughs> it. Oh, yeah, I just can't be having on I on can't feet. be having centre half that little. I just can't be having it like he's I was. It. Like, if,
4: if he'd sign if he'd sign if he'd like I wanted him to for Arsenal and Arsenal were hot on Martinez, right? It's quite clear. That he wasn't going to be signed as a centre back. He was being told he was going to play well on the left side of the inverted four. Do you know what I mean? With one, one more with one moving in, and then ultimately what we ended up getting was Inchenko. I do like Martinez. I'm you know, but I I, I sort of take your point. Although Colo Torre wasn't bad.
2: <laughs> Colo Torre is much bigger than Martinez. Much bigger is he? I mean, well, you know, he's five foot ten. Colon. Yeah, I think Martinez is five eight, and he, he expresses as five three. <laughs> uh, I think this is a really important part of this: the the, the fact that he's nailed centre half Who is was also tiny. Narc yeah. is almost part of the problem. Like, I don't think centre half should be tiny. Narc. It says a lot
3: about him that the fact that he brought Harry Maguire back in after he've, he they tried to listen. He hasn't helped himself has he but they tried to destroy him as like as an entity yeah they've absolutely been they've been about, the way they've treated they him players, really
4: badly to be
2: fair
3: I, he's not yeah. the only one either by the way so I I think there's a problem where they are baddies yeah they are the, 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 the terrible terrible baddies and it's because it's it, it's often the same in a struggling company, isn't it where whoever's the next person up is just trying to get you to do as much as you can do to help their next move so for United because there's no continuity Everyone's just thinking, well, all you're doing this for is because your ass is on the chopping block here. So nobody trusts anybody else. And listen, to the fact that every five minutes you get another one of the journalists going, oh, yeah, there's murmurings of discontent in the changing names. Yeah, because... They're just telling people outright that they think he's absolutely crap because it's, he's proved time and time again to be absolutely garbage. Well, the only thing he's got going for him is the fact that seemingly he must have pitches of fucking Gary Neville doing something well, wrong because Gary Neville's the only one who likes. Even Gary,
2: him. Gary Neville started making noises like, "Oh, he's
4: pretty, we all know the way this goes." But by the way, Kev, the um, the whole Ajax miracle, right? How many of those Ajax players from that side have really done anything, really? If, I'm, if if we're honest, you know, and Ajax's big moment, they absolutely choked against Tottenham. Didn't they? Yeah, you know, yeah. you know,
2: and that's Tottenham Hotspur. I think
4: it's interesting that you said about um, a company. So
5: if you think about them not as a football club, because first five years after Ferguson, I was always worried that there was going to be like a rejuvenation, especially when Mourinho um, went there. And I thought there would be silverware. There was a little bit always is now I just look at it and think it's like Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares fucking, a, I absolutely love it uh, it's literally from top to bottom it just goes wrong he, he spent 411 million since last summer is it the, the summer before last so 2022 so you can look at him and it, it, if he was working for me I'd have him up on the wall think, saying to him Where, where's all the fucking money gone where's it gone what have you done Never mind the identity of the football club and how they're playing, but then the book stops with them because they employ they employ sporting directors or or whoever it is that's in charge of transfers. There's too much going wrong at that club. And I agree with Kev,
4: whoever they bring in next, it'll just be another calamity. Well, George, you know very funny? Last night, obviously, I was uh, watching the, the Newcastle thing. And by the way, I get no 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 enjoyment at all seeing Newcastle, Tonkman United. Yeah, They'll I agree a, there, Do you know yeah. what I mean? They all like Newcastle. Yeah, me. you know. <clears throat> but um, I, I, I sort of had blanked from my mind through highly evasive skills the fact that Steve McLaren yeah, sits on the yeah. bench yeah. with yeah. him. And I was like, that's Steve McLaren. And I was like... What is it? Yeah. Steve McLaren <laughs> was on the bench and I was thinking, it can only because they both got really rubbish Dutch accents that they uh <laughs> that they sit together. But here. yeah, again I I, I was looking
5: at that and I was just thinking that it's like do you remember years ago and it was like when a Liverpool manager, oh, let's bring Swan back from the boot room and things and it's like, have you not got your own plan? Mm. So so
2: favourite uh is Zidane. Then Nagelsmann. A lot of this is on the timing, by the way, because Nagelsmann's currently at Germany. Graham Potter, Deserbi Carrick, Conte, uh, McKenna, who's currently at Ipswich, uh, Gareth Southgate, Lopetegui, um Diego Simeone, Pochettino, Thomas Frank.
3: I'll
5: stop there before we get to Bren.
3: There's not. There's nothing in there besides me, Zan that'll make you... That'll make you
5: the think. only one that would make me think is Simeone because of the way he wins football. Well, I, so I, that's
2: why I sort yeah. of think Conte And that if your players are crap, you might as well get Conte in and yeah. have him basically have them defend for this the lives. This is
3: Manchester United Football Club. This is <laughs> no Manchester, way, this this is is yeah, no way. way, No way. This
2: is, anyway, uh, anyway, they play Fulham uh, half-twelve on Saturday. The last away win against any of last season's top ten was Fulham last November with a last-minute winner. Uh, I mean with the ability to get something uh, just to keep them in post but that's just one view uh, also no one needs them in Dublin uh,
3: that's no, another I, view I, I 100% agree with
2: that
4: Either what do you mean by that, that? I, I, do you know what, I, I don't understand that comment
2: so the Europa League final will be in Dublin if United finish third in the Champions League group they right. drop down into the Europa League the idea of Liverpool playing Manchester United in Dublin at an event organised by UEFA scares the absolute shit out of me yes,
4: yes. it won't happen
2: um, it won't happen. But what, why? Because you think they'll come second or fourth in the Champions League group because they will just crap and they'll get knocked out of the Europa uh, League? I
4: actually think, weirdly, they've got something stupid in them enough and they'll qualify for the last 16. I'd sort of I hope think, that, I that I think that's, man, that's what happens because they have no chance of going any further. I, yeah, yeah, no, no, That's places, sort of what so. I think will happen, Kev. Yeah, yeah. No, that's,
2: that, I'm fine with all that. Uh, that's that's <coughs> absolutely I, fine. I totally
3: agree with your Dublin point, though. Dublin. Dublin. But just Liverpool here is going to be crazy enough if you threw Man United so in there. I was
4: looking at Neil's notes and I was going, Dublin? I was like, <laughs> a, was like a U2 player? <laughs> you, know, you, uh, n- you never uh, want to play in
5: English yeah. side in, in the European final anyway. It's,
4: no, it's, no it's, it's a principle. Not say, you don't, it's, not, uh,
5: it's nowhere near as much fun. Uh,
2: anyway, uh, here's Jack Collins uh, on Fulham, um, who may or may not get a result against Manchester United Football Club.
6: It's John Gibbons for the Anfield app with a partnership courtesy of NordVPN. NordVPN have partnered with us before and we're delighted they are doing so again not just for their support but also because they offer loads of benefits to the football fan like yourself. There's lots of benefits to sign up to NordVPN including of course watching sporting events, TV shows or films which aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country which is showing the events. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but a few of our games aren't on telly this season, but they are on TV somewhere and you can find them by switching your virtual location. That's obviously one of the benefits of a VPN service like no but they are one of the best around and lots of reasons why, including that they protect your private data like bank details, passwords and online identity. Uh, with one click, you're able to switch your virtual location to another country, which also allows you to save money by purchasing flights, hotels, and subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. Now, I do need to point out that the Amphi app subscription is the same price in every country, but others aren't, and that includes hotels and flights as well. So you can have a little look around and see what deals you're able to do yourself there. Uh, personally, for, for me, uh, a big one with NordVPN is knowing that my data is protected when I'm traveling abroad and using public Wi-Fi. Uh, Wherever I am in the world, I know that I'm protected from viruses, uh, from malicious malware and phishing sites. It's also the fastest VPN in the world, which is important for what I'm sure you're going to use it from. No buffering or lagging while streaming, uh, which is the last thing you want when you're watching live sports. You want it to be a smooth process, don't you? Especially when you're watching the Reds and they are able uh, to provide that for you. It is the same price as one cup of coffee a month and your account can be used on up to six devices. So if you want a huge discount of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash T-A-W. That is nordvpn.com forward slash T-A-W. That code will give you four additional months free on top of the two-year plan. And also, they're that confident that you'll enjoy the service, they'll offer you a 30-day money-back guarantee. So that place to go again is nordvpn.com forward slash T-A-W. The link can also be found in the episode description box wherever you listen. Enjoy, and thanks a lot to NordVPN for partnering with us again. Jack Collins putting up with a smug fella who supports one of the teams in the
2: Big Six. Uh, And the reason why the smug fella is starting from this position is because, Jack, what's the
0: point of your season? Oh, completely. I'm I'm so with you on this, and it does feel like, I, I mean, maybe like the Carabao Cup, but we're recording this on Wednesday. We play Ipswich. We should be out by the time we, we actually this goes you
2: could be out. You could, Because this is the funny thing with, it's obviously very, very good for Fulham Football Club, the business, that the current, the three promoted sides, who currently are the bottom three, look as poor as they look. And before then, you've got before we get to you down there, there's Bournemouth who've only just got the first win. There's Forrest who who seem to be in a little bit of flux. uh, And there's Everton who may or may not have a charge that results in a points deduction. And then we get to Fulham, who've already got 12 points from 10 games, which is a ratio that would always keep you up anyway, uh, every single season. So that is why I asked the question. It must feel a little bit at the minute like, it's fine, it's good for Fulham, but it's not necessarily going to be particularly
0: exciting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, when we were bouncing between divisions, uh, we you know, we had that spell in the Premier League where sort of seven years and, and nothing hugely happened. And then bouncing between divisions, and we were talking about players coming through from the Youth Academy in particular and saying, what we do for a spell where... It was just Crystal Palace-esque and we just sort of floated around 12th, 13th for a couple of years and just steadied the ship because it was it was doing no wonders my heart rate. I give you that for free. So look, there are there are positives and and I actually would put maybe Wolves and Palace in that bracket as well. I think if it it came to if it came to if it came to the. But if it came to the crunch and, you know, let's see a miracle happened and all six of the teams you've already mentioned suddenly won five games in a row and it was all over. I'd still fancy us ahead of Palace and Wolves as well to maybe not to finish the season, but if it came to a survival scrap Mm. and maybe that maybe there's something in that as well. So it was always going to be if Fulham don't start well and if they don't, you know, replace Alexander Mitrovic to go back to the big one, then we're not going to score enough goals and we're not going to be able to kick on from last season where there was sort of glimmers of a European challenge. So. I'd say that a successful season for Fulham looks like staying completely out of the relegation battle that goes on below. So not being dragged into that mire that having to even worry about it at, at one point and then finishing mid table, being comfortable, probably starting to make plans for next season and giving a decent cup run in one of the two competitions. I think that's what a decent season looks like, but you're absolutely right in that it's hardly the most exciting thing in the world. And there's also this kind of element that obviously Marcus Silva's just signed a new contract, so that changes the the perspective of things a little bit. But people were saying, "Well, wow, Fulham need to go and sign a striker in January," and I was, I was, my response was, sort "Of why? Why would Fulham go and, and and use the January market, which is famously a, a worse place to find value than the summer market, when we know that this season is probably going to be fine and probably isn't going to end in glory either way?" But you know, it does seem that Marcus Silva's contract maybe has relied upon the fact that he is going. He's, he's felt he's going to be backed. That he knows he's going to bring in players to try and push his team forward. And, and maybe the second half of the season gives us a runway into next year to actually be able to, you know, ma- ingratiate those players.
2: So I take your point on January's difficult to do business, and it's difficult to do business for players who are, who are highly thought of. But this could be a good January to take a couple of risks. In terms of players, you know, and by risks, I don't mean, I, I certainly don't think I mean anyway. any way. I don't mean players who are 28 who may or may not fit the price tag, but maybe players who are 21, 22, 23, who might have a level to go to and you get six months to assess it. That's what I, you know, because that that's what the luxury of the second half of the season could become for sides like Fulham, like Palace, like Wolves, like Brentford, is it might actually create this idea of, well, we almost get to do five months of working out all right, this is how we're going to finish above Leicester because Leicester are going to come up and they're going to be good. You know, I wonder whether or not that could be the thing he thinks he can do in January because it is worth pointing out that yet again, the average age of the team is 29.5. The league average age is 26.9. To sort of completely contextualise that going the other way, if it went the other way, the average age of the team would be circa 24. And we'd be talking about how young a team it is. It is an ageing team. There are a number of players over 30 getting a lot of time on the pitch.
0: Yeah, 100%, 100%. And there is no obvious solution in the striking roles either. Look, we've got a couple of loanees out doing really well, League One and the Championship. So there's there's this kind of hope that those players will be able to come in and make a difference next year. But equally, I think that that's a, a dangerous game to be relying on as, as a kind of complete strategy. It looks like Fulham are linked today in the Mexican press with with Santi Jimenez, who's at fine and has had an absolutely incredible start to this year. It was brilliant last season as well. But, you know, the talk there is that's a... A 50 million pound player so is that a risk you look at taking in january and and that's that's where i think this season becomes interesting for fulham in that what what january looks like and whilst i was you know down on it and whilst i remain a little bit down on what's how do you how do you make that work maybe there's value to be had in the market rather than going spending loads i do think that what happens in january and how fulham look to set up for the second half of this season might well influence next season and and that's got to be something that we take a, a deeper interest in than you know, perhaps what's going on right now. But you flip that and we've got this game against Manchester United at the weekend. One, I think that you know, United coming to the cottage in this kind of form and this kind of space feels like the kind of game you go, hmm. is that is that a scalp that's possible? And, and Fulham haven't done United all that many times over yeah. the course of those years but
2: at that, the cottage. That, that, well, this is going to sort of be me question. Does those, so there's a run of home games that Fulham have got between now and the end of the season where You know, as it stands, it's a Fulham side who, yeah, you've played Brentford and Chelsea, both the West London rivals and and got beaten both and not actually scored in either game. Yeah. You've still got Spurs to come Arsenal, City, Liverpool, Villa, Newcastle, Brighton, Man United, West Ham. And this is back to again being a a top six bell end, is I go, Yeah, but you're not going to build a run of results. But the point about that is that all of those any of those games is an opportunity for people who pay money to go to Craven Cottage, to pay money, go to Craven Cottage and see Fulham win a big game. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and that that that's some that is something that you build a season on, and, and that's why I think this one on Saturday is almost. There's this game that before recording against Ipswich, and there's that one on Saturday, and they're actually in a really weird way. Both quite big games in the context of Fulham season, aren't they? They're not. They're not little small affairs now, and it's not. Well, oh well, we've got to worry about you know looking after people in this to get a point later on. They're now actually events. Both of these
0: matches in quite different ways. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I don't think. You can underestimate this week for Fulham because not only is that those two games and and as you say, they're they're kind of events, I suppose, is probably the way that I put it. But there's also this protest that's happening on on Saturday before the Manchester United game and during in the 18th minute about ticket prices and about the fact that Fulham fans feel like they're being priced out by the tickets that are being sold, especially in the newsstand. And sold uh, massive markups and what that does for the atmosphere at the ground, whether there are going to be, you know, away fans who bought a membership for one, you know, one game a season because that's their outlay because they live in London and this is the ticket they can get to see Manchester United. Those questions start to become really prominent. And actually, the off-field issues feel like they've dominated Fulham's season so far, I think, from, from our perspective. It's been talking about ticket prices, been talking about transfer windows. The actual performances on the pitch, I think Fulham's record this season so far is exactly the same as it was last season. And last season, we were talking about having a really good start. So there is there's, there's that kind of element on it, whereas it doesn't feel the same this time round, maybe because of the losses to Brentford and Chelsea, as you say, you know, obviously won both those games at the cottage last year. And that gives you a little local bragging rights thing. But more than that, I think that the teams above us have got much better. And it feels like that gap is is, is clearly increased, whereas I think sitting in sort of 10th, ninth for most of the season last year, you're looking at Aston Villa, who finished seventh and going, yeah. I, you know, I, I think we could catch Villa. And now you look at Villa and you're like, well, there's streets ahead of where Fulham are. And look, part of that's due to brilliant management, part of that's due to a real investment in the summer. But actually trying to breach that gap and make it smaller before the end of the season, I think becomes maybe the big Premier League issue for us for the rest of the year. Um, last time I was against Brighton, and it's often difficult to judge a team
2: by what happens against Brighton up to and including getting a good result against Brighton. It's a very, very odd yeah. proposition going to the Amex now. I think it is, in lots of ways, the oddest game in English football. Um, you know, Brighton obviously massively dominated the ball, pulled Fulham out of shape. I was intrigued looking at the pass maps after the game that all the Fulham players aren't quite where you think they should be, but then that's what happens when you go to Brighton. You end up doing odd things, and they do odd things, and everyone's sort of trying to make the best of it in a number of ways. So, as part of that, what's your... Sort of expectation in terms of lineup for for United has a done enough to keep his place? Will it be Reed and Polinia with a in front? Do you cover Cordova Reed? I've seen you tweet he's the best finisher at the club. Do you think he keeps his place? What are you expecting selection wise for United?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, both our right centre centre backs are still out, so it's going to be Reem and Bassi, I think, in there again. Bassi obviously struggled against Spurs, was much better against Brighton, um, and look, as you say, that's that's a good result there. But we have a weirdly good record against Brighton. I think we've played them seven times in the Premier League. 1-3, drawn 4. So, you know, I guess the side that have been in the ascendancy for a long yeah, period of that. It's very really Marco weird... Silva
2: that. You know, it feels quite Marco Silva that I'm saying across the last couple of seasons. A lot of managers find it difficult. I can see Marco Silva loving the idea of building a one-off thing to get a result against Brighton. Whereas if you're Jurgen Klopp or Guardiola, you feel like we've got to impose our style of play. Yeah. They're just Brighton. Whereas Fulham gets to go, well, Marco Silva gets to go, lads, this week, just do as I tell you, and, they, and we'll be all right in the end.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much that. Um, I I think Awobi's done brilliantly since he's come in. To be perfectly honest with you, he gives us a little bit of drive in the middle and aside side lacking a bit of attacking impetus with this striker situation going on. He's very much the one that creates things in the middle, and look, he's done well to to shift Andreas Pereira out of that spot because Pereira was a player that Silver loved, and whatever seemed to happen last season, it was it was Andreas there in the ten. There was no kind of getting away from that until he got injured in the, in the back half of the season. So I think Awobi does keep his place, although I think Pereira plays tonight against Ipswich, and you know if he scores a hat trick, maybe I'll have to revisit that prediction. But I would like to see a front three of of, of Willian, Deco, over Reed through the middle, and Harry Wilson on the right, because I, I think that something's coming with Harry Wilson, and obviously there's a vested interest from from you in terms of wanting yeah. that to go well. But I, I you know, I've, I've got a real thing about. I think he brings something different to this side that when we are lacking a very obvious penalty box poacher in the, you know, Alamitrovic, Wilson has the ability to make things happen in a different kind of way. And, and I think that we're lacking that right now. Although I think in terms of who plays behind them, I think Sasha Lukic comes back in for Harrison Reed. Reed's has done really well and he's been brilliant for, for many a year for Fulham. But I think what Lukic has offered in his last couple of games probably adds a little bit more to the party than, than what Reed is right now um how are you gonna get go on i think we're gonna get a point um now obviously you know united have that weird capacity to to somehow pull something out of the bag and they did so last season when we were the better team for a lot a lot of that game and suddenly alandro garnacho decided to pop up with a brilliant solo goal and you're like this this would only happen to us but you know it's united they have had a a tendency to do it in the past and i'm sure that everyone else would say exactly the same about united popping up with that kind of goal so i think that they will struggle to break this fulham team down i think they're lacking a lot of elements that teams that have pushed us around have thrived on you know getting in behind the fullbacks can't see it dominating the midfield can't see it i i can see it being one all that like, two headers from corners the, but i don't think it's going to be a great game and it's obviously a tv game i can't see it being a great advertisement for the premier league but i think we might get a point <laughs> thank you very much to jack brilliant from Jack uh, as ever a pleasure
2: uh, to have him on board every single time he comes on the show we'll go through the three PMs relatively quickly uh, because there is one that I've got my eye on which is the last one that we'll talk about before then it's Brentford versus West Ham West Ham United um, Jim I'm sort of enjoying the West Ham United and I'm sorry to be last off. night because <laughs> no I like, this the, the West yeah, Ham United have yeah. got the taste of trophies of yeah. European football and can't really be that bothered with the league I like the idea that they might just get themselves win a domestic cup every year or a European trophy so the get to play European football because they've realised it's
4: brilliant. It's weird, isn't it? They were abject against Everton and they are abject against Villa. Um, and then obviously they come into a bit of form in the in the in the League Cup against us. I mean, we were poor in that game, but we're not here to talk about the uh, the League Cup per se. Certainly not if you're an Arsenal fan. <laughs> but um, but been interesting one this one, Brentford, because obviously Brentford have come out of some indifferent form and started start putting some interesting um, results together. I thought. West Ham, they have the air of a team that sort of enjoys each other's company, if you know what I mean. Very much so. Um, They sort of have managed to sort of seamlessly deal with you know, the, the moving on of Declan Rice to the point where the West Ham fans just booed him last night, which I thought was a little bit odd. Um, but, you know, that's West Ham fans for you. Um, also got in his head a bit, I think. Do you know what? I think the manager did him a solid, really. Um, and if he'd, have done, if he'd had any sense at all, he probably wouldn't have... Uh, wh- when we were 2-0 down, he came on at 2-0. I was like, well, why are you bringing him on at 2-0? What's the point of that? Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. like there's, there's, there's bigger days ahead, and he's our best player. But... You know, looking at looking at West Ham, I said on on here last time. You know, this I got a lot of respect for Moyes, and I I like what he's done there. This game against Brentford, however, um, is an interesting one because they're sort of two teams that are meeting at the cusp of something. Um, in the sense of, you know, they're going head-to-head, having both found a little bit of form in in relative games. It'll probably be a shit draw, do you know what I mean? Because they're sort of so even, evenly pitched right now, um, probably very little will come out of it. I thought Brentford were interesting though. Brentford are quite interesting, Kev. They tick over. I think West Ham though,
2: are more interesting at the minute in that they just look like they want to be sw- swashbuckling. I don't know if that makes any sense when you think about who the manager is and yet he has got them to European glory. He's had that night with them. Um, he's got them to two other good European campaigns, it's worth pointing out. I think they just sort of feel like it's nice to win stuff. It's nice to have adventures. They genuinely feel to me like the club in the country is most gone. We really enjoy adventures. Should we just do loads of them and not worry too much about this week-to-week stuff in the league? Do
3: you know what? It, it, they had the decision to make after he won it last season, didn't he? Because I think the, the prevailing wisdom was he was going to go, wasn't he? And he was going to bring somebody else in. And he's just decided no to keep hold of him. And fair play, because, listen, if, if you're a West Ham fan, for years, you've been the, the, like, the tagline of a joke, haven't you? The punchline of a joke, sorry. and. Now you're going all the European games, you're having a little going domestic cups. You think to yourself, this is well better that this is well better than winning three games out of 12 in the Premier League and finishing
4: 12 because and they're nice then, and safe, aren't they? They're always going to be kind of safe. Oh, so, this this year, I mean, this, this, year, this, this year, this year, is I mean, think.
3: The thing. yeah, this year, the might the, the miles out of any sort of trouble. So, they've got the thing where they can have a little look and just go, Well, listen, we're not that bothered about any of these, these league games. I'm not obviously that's not the way football works, but. If you were to say to any West Ham fan this season, what do you want to go for? It's Cups all day, isn't it? Mm. Like, Especially to win a domestic Cup for them, because to win the European one last year was amazing. I must admit, I was made up for them. I was. I, 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 it's one of my favourite ever winning goals. I love it. Yeah, The fact that he's through for ages, the lad's not going to get
2: near him, and you're so certain he's scoring mm. it. He, he could have ran for about an hour, yeah. and I'd have been certain he scores at the end of this. It, it
3: was boss. I, I watched and I was made up for them, and I like West Ham as a club. Don't get me wrong, they've got like that thing about and Declan Rice that's just a joke but every club in the land that was got like a, a core of these there wasn't all the West Ham fans no, here, no I, think, I, that, think yeah, quite, I think quite a lot tried to make the point of, and clap them on yeah, yeah, but I think they've got a lot of old school fans which is what I like obviously the newer breeder fans are not, not necessarily they're not my cup of tea but that's mm. the same for every club that you go to but if I was a West Ham fan this season I'd just be thinking to myself this is as you said this is great this is well better than as I say beating like who we should beat in the league And not getting relegated And not even being anywhere near Going for Europe And I get to go to like Olympiacos or whatever I don't even know What they've got in, yeah, Olympia, it's it's yeah it's Olympiacos
5: It's their golden era Isn't it, that's,
3: it why, is.
5: that's why Moise Is looking at it now He's had his ch- chance uh, At Man United And obviously failed and this is his big moment where I, mean. I don't think he'll ever get a, a, another chance at another club to win trophies, and I think he sees that as a massive opportunity. Yeah, I've never seen him smile before after this West Ham job. <laughs> no, he was, no, no, he was always like this miserable, grim person, wasn't he? And they've got some, fa- they've got some fine players. We talk about them being safe as well. If they win against Brentford and Saturday. They're on the same point as Newcastle, when Newcastle kick off against the Arsenal, so mm. they're not doing too bad.
2: No, there's that, and I think that they can still do I think they'll be desperate to make sure they play European football again next season, whether that's 7th, 8th, 9th, sorry, 6th, 7th, 8th, whether that's a domestic cup or anything like that, as you say. Like, imagine going to the match and getting to watch Paquetta.
4: And they have yeah. those players. Bowen. Yeah, They have players, you know, with a bit of experience. and um, Players that they brought in. He, do, he does assemble reasonable squads. I mean, <laughs> you laugh at it and you say, you know, he's a... He's just won a European a European trophy. He's got to be in line for the Man United job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next one, Sheffield Wolves. Quick on this, because it's the sort of game Sheffield United
2: need to win. Wolves are netto-less, so could be vulnerable, and yet. And this is the and yet, Kev. Sheffield United, I think, of the three that have come up, they do look the one, the saddest. and That's a competitive market. Uh, well, but it's a competitive market, I think, between Burnley, which we'll come on to when we speak to Natalie, and Sheffield United. I think Luton, there's still a bit of spark there in terms of being an adventure if Sheffield United aren't getting something from Wolves at home when they are netto-less, they sit 11th, they're at home, there's a bit of pressure on, I just think it's all over by the shouting, as dramatic as that can sound. No,
3: I, th- I think even if they win, it's still all over by the shouting. They, they'll, they'll eventually get a win at some point in the season because that's just the way football works, but they're a poor team. We <clears throat> we discussed briefly before, I think, about how poor they were on the, the, the pre-match warm-up. And, but the fact that they come up last year and then started this season weaker than they come up last year tells you all you need to know they're just another case of owners who should know football clubs getting in and he's probably just thinking I'll just take the Premier League money and we'll go back down and I'm not even really bothered because I think it wasn't was it only a year or two before they were nearly relegated out of the Championship weren't they so it, 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 was, it was a totally unexpected bonus for them to get where they've got Wolves Wolves are a funny one really I, I I'd quite like Wolves to do all right, just because I'd like Gary O'Neill to just put two things up to Bournemouth. Yeah, exactly. Like what? What what a boss decision that was, boys! And Bournemouth—they're not going to go down because of the three terrible teams that are below them, but. Gary O'Neill's comes across to me like a decent fella, and plus he was at Liverpool for a little while, wasn't he, coaching? So I've got a bit of time for him. So I'd actually quite like Wolves to win, I think. But I liked him as a player. Yeah, he's tidy. One, yeah, t- t- a tidy little footballer, and he's become a tidy little coach. As he well, feels
4: hasn't. like a football man, Gary O'Neill, doesn't he? Do you yeah. know what I mean? In 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 terms of like, you know, I, it does he? It does he warrant a big job like like okay, Wolves? Rams and Wanderers is a a big job because it's a Premier League uh, team, so I think he was kind of fortunate to, to bounce off the back of the Bournemouth experience in, into that but job.
3: Because his yeah. like, so the but, well, exactly. The but, mark, yeah. but
4: what's interesting as well is that Wolves are one of those teams, and there's a, there's three or four of them. Um, there are a twelve from 10 or I've called them. Like like <coughs> the there's a there's a bunch of teams in that mid table. who have all got kind of twelve points from ten games, and actually, for the, you look at the teams around them. Actually, who are on the same kind of ratio. You, each one of them would say, do you know actually, that's not a bad place for where we are right now. Do you know yeah, what I mean? You know, so. um, You know, a quarter of the points that they would hope, well, more than a quarter of the points that a lot of those clubs would perhaps hope to accumulate by the end of the season. I'm not sure. Those three teams that you're talking about, Kev, um, the three teams that are worse than every other team, I think their, their accumulative points tally this season is going to be so low Right, that it's actually going to mean that the teams above them aren't going to have to accumulate anything like the forty points to be safe. Yeah. But I mean, mm-hmm. what I would point out the the mad thing is that if Wolves do beat
2: um, beat Sheffield United, which they may well do, they're then fourteen points ahead of Sheffield United, haven't played eleven games, and they find themselves ten points clear to Luton in eighteenth, mm-hmm. haven't played a game more be- before Luton kick off against Liverpool, Burnley being the other one. And you, and you but you just also just sort of at the point there where. You know, I'm, if I was any of these sides now, I'd be actually be annoyed if I wasn't in the Carabao Cup last day. I'd yeah, actually yeah. be already planning, you know what, third round of the FA Cup. We're going to go for it. We're not going to do the thing where we, we'll make the change in the league game before or the league game after. We, yeah. We're, we're going we're gonna to go for that one as and when that comes around because I just think there's a chance, a genuine chance, bar and maybe Bournemouth, but I think even Bournemouth, I think they showed a little bit against Liverpool, that are a bit better. Pete... I think there's a chance that there's genuinely 10, 12, 14 points between 15th and 18th, 16th and 18th, and maybe even 17th and 18th by the time we get to 20 games.
5: we talk about City and Bournemouth now? Well, we're, talk, we're, talk, no, we're talking about the idea of where yeah. luton
0: Burnley so, and I, Sheffield I, I,
5: are. I thought about this on, on the drive-ins. I, I thought that there will be sides now above these bottom three, bottom four teams. Where It's like what you just said about the FA Cup. I never really thought about the FA Cup, but they're going to be playing without pressure because they know that they they're down and they, they, they've got to be um they've, they've just got to go into games with a little bit of um I don't know a bit of freedom and a bit more a bit of ambition a bit more ambition and, and and maybe that's when we we do see in the in the in the next third of the season where we see some of the bottom 10 start taking points away from the, yeah. the top 10 because at the moment it just seems a bit of a procession doesn't it
4: mm. I think as well the the thing to sort of be aware, be cautious about I suppose if you're one of those teams that's around those and wolves perhaps are the are the, the the kind of the spotlights on them. When you do lose a star player like Neto right you't um, you don't quite know what that is going to mean in real terms. you know uh, uh, he's been good Neto. There's a, um, he's, he, he's clearly their best player, and there's going to be a lot of teams that are, are, would would be interested in him anyway. I don't know how long's he out for. So that's it. Feels like it wasn't as bad as it looked on the telly
2: okay. So that's mm-hmm. what's come out. So the, the, I I reckon I've read I read a couple of things midweek. I reckon he might just. Park him until the international break because mm. everyone wants to make sure he's right because of the the issues he's had in the past. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if he misses this weekend, misses next weekend, doesn't go uh, doesn't go to Portugal, and instead is back and available from the 25th. And that's what I think they'll do with the Wolves because it just feels like the smart yeah, he, move.
5: is he, a big miss, but I think you've got to give a bit of credit to Gary O'Neill as well because yeah. the players who yeah, play well. Hwank, I think he's yeah. got five and five goals on the row at home, he, And stuff. He, he's He's very technical as well. Um, Don't forget Ballon Dawson. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Gary O'Neill, I think he was unfairly treated from Bournemouth. And look how that's turned out. It hasn't turned out very well so far, has it? No. Um, Bournemouth go to Man City. Um, Unless they can bring the weather with them,
2: Kev. um, You can't quite... I mean, that weather was mad, by the way. It's been a while since a good one of them, and that was (laughs) a good one of them. Uh, it, It feels like... Feels like that should be Too much obviously For for Bournemouth We beat them earlier In the season 3-1 I expect City to just Do something similar
3: I can barely even believe You've you've come to us To talk about it Normally you just Write that
2: game off There we are We will move it along But then the next one Was Everton-Brighton Which (laughs) given again What's what's, what's going going, on Again Jim Given what's going on Underneath Everton should feel As though they can play With a bit of freedom Against Brighton Brighton are on no wins In four They've got a European game Midweek that they'll want To get a result from In the Europa League They could do with Getting a a, a result from Um, You know Boy and Blues Brought back by Brighton uh, seagulls
4: choke on toffee I don't know mate. <laughs> well yeah I love the alliteration um, and, I, and if, you, if you hadn't moved on from the Man City Bournemouth thing I was going to give you loads of like uh, deep di- deep diving crowded house references but I'll leave <laughs> that for another time um, Everton be Brighton looks like quite a good game on paper you know what I mean it, you know, clash, um, of a clash of Styles absolutely um, Clash of Styles be windy um, the weather will be weather will be unpleasant. Um, the Blues have come into a little bit of form, haven't they? You know, so they're doing okay. He looks a little bit more confident. You know, are, are they doing a Bill Kenwright thing at the weekend as well? I mean, yes, they he, did it, did it, did it yesterday yesterday as well. I mean, but... Mashiri's back in town. That's a kind of like a little bit mad. You know, so clearly there's an atmosphere around there that's that, that's lifted. I think it's all Calvert Lewin, Pete. I think it, I think having a focal point. If you're a Sean Dyche sort of
2: team, you need. In fact, every team really to a degree needs a focal point. You doesn't have, that focal point doesn't
5: need to be up front? But it has been up front. It has been Calvert Lewin, and he's made a massive difference. Yeah, hundred percent. He's a, he's a game changer for them. Um, he he they come back for the Brighton away game last season, didn't he? Yeah, and, and, and changed that.
3: I'll never forgive Brighton for
6: that. <laughs> well.
5: The only thing I would say about yeah, I think you I think you said, Jim, that they're coming to form. I don't think they have come into form, I think they're effective. And I think they're effective in certain moments, and I think they're getting results because of that. And I, I going back to that away game. Pete, um, the that, bars low.
4: Do you know what I mean? The bar's low yeah. for coming into form and talking about the blues. Oh
5: absolutely. Um but oh, that was fucking horrible to watch, wasn't it, last season? Disgusting. And, um, yeah, absolutely. They, they, that Was going to relegate them, but I think the Zerby is uh, he's a bit of a hothead, and I think that would have upset him at the time because you I think d- he'll have marked this going into this yeah, season. I think we do we, always say, Oh, well, they don't talk about revenge, and it's every game's a new game, and all that bollocks, but it's I i, I, I don't think so. I think I think he is, he's a bit mad like us, and I he'll, think be, he, he'll be going, You're not doing that to me again, yeah.
3: and but I, also, he th- th- listen, there's a possibility that in this game at 0-0, Lewis Dunn's got his foot on the ball for 15 minutes, <laughs> and every Everton <laughs> player in his own half going, We don't even want the ball, you dickhead. <laughs>
4: No. Uh, yeah, well, one. There, is, there is the distinct possibility. <laughs> well, Joe, it's you know interesting. Like Brighton, clearly aren't as good as they were last season for for, for a variety of reasons, and obviously the the, the the churn of of players will be a contributing factor, but. They're still in quite a healthy place, position
2: oh, in the league. I, I think what's doing them, Jim, I think it's uh, it's that realisation of two games a week. I think that's what's really hurt them. I think, mm. and also they ended up with a bit of a tough Europa League group because yeah, they yeah. weren't seeded. And I just think that's become really hard. It's also become distracting. Um, you know, I think that, and it's all right that it's distracting for now. I think there'll possibly be a different proposition in December. I think they'll get something from this. Listen, Burnley versus Palace, that's the last one. And I spoke to Natalie Bromley. I am always uh, Burnley Twitter curious, and I would currently describe Burn- Burnley Twitter as just a bit of a miserable miserable place. I've got Natalie Bromley here, and no one's enjoying it, Natalie. I think that this is the, the defining factor and what people miss sometimes for the promoted sides. Everyone says it'll be a bit of an adventure, it'll be this, it'll be that, or we can do this, or something like that. Burnley, to me, just looks like no one's having any fun, including the manager
7: that's absolutely right it's um it's a pretty miserable place at the moment which is it's kind of weird for Burnley fans as well because we're a team that is used to fighting for everything we're, we're used to fighting for our lives at the bottom of the table apart from one season pretty much every single one of the eight seasons we had in the Premier League was avoiding relegation and that was fine we're used to that we know where we stand this diff this season feels different for some reason and the I can't put my finger on what it is that's bothering me. But I think the best way that I can describe it is I just feel really disengaged. I feel disconnected to the team. I feel I don't feel a connection with the manager this season like we did last year, which is weird. Um there's just, I mean, listen, it, it's always difficult when you are getting absolutely hammered every single week. Um but that is part and parcel of Premier League football. It's not just that. Um, the team's different to the one we had last year. The same faces aren't there. We made loads of signings in the summer that are all different and the and the team's being tinkered with every single week. So we don't know who's playing. There's no consistency in a style or, a, I guess, a plan. And everything just gets tweaked every week. And I think it's just been very difficult as a fan to engage with and get on board and get behind a club that at the moment I don't necessarily identify with. Um, and listen, everybody's going to be feeling that I'm sure the board feel it. I'm sure the manager feels it. I'm sure the players feel it and the fans definitely feel it, but um, there is definitely a, a disconnect we're on a I think the club and its fans and its board are all in a bit of a trial separation at the moment um and it's tough it's really tough I can't I don't know why it's like this it's not usually like this
2: Is one of the reasons why it's like it. There's been very, very difficult home games. And I think what your home games is, you at least want to feel like you're alive and competitive in them. But there's a 5-2 defeat to Tottenham. They have been difficult games. A 3-0 defeat first game to City. A 3-1 defeat to Villa. A 4-1 defeat to Chelsea. The one game where I thought where I caught some of as well, where I thought Burnley looked like a live proposition here is the game against Manchester United. Yeah. You just lose 1-0. But you haven't had, and that's why I wanted to get you on this weekend because I think this weekend's a really significant game because I ultimately think every team you've played so far will finish in the top 10. Uh, I, I, that you played at Turf More will finish in the top 10. Whereas... Now, Crystal Palace this weekend is a team that we don't expect to finish in the top 10. And it does feel as though if if the connection is going to be rekindled for Burnley, it sort of starts this weekend in the the home games that are to come against the sides that we can expect at least not to finish in the top 10.
7: Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think at the beginning of the season, I'm pretty sure I've said that to you as well. We were all very much not blinker, that's not the right word, but we weren't too worried about the, the opening start because we we got ridiculous fixtures to start with. Um, and we, you know, we beat Luton away. We got a draw away at Forest, both of which were really good points. But then we got absolutely battered by Brentford, which is a side we were hoping away from home to try and at least compete in. Yeah. And then last weekend, the game against Bournemouth was just an appalling result and yeah. a really terrible performance against a side that we were hoping would be in the bottom three instead of us, you know, and we just handed them a really important um, home win and we just didn't compete at all and it was, it was shocking. So I think that's probably where some of the disconnect is, is that we it feels like we're a really weak side, both mentally and physically and the first sign of any trouble and this team crumbles and that's something that we're not necessarily used to. Um, and I think that's the problem. It's like, well, you've got, you've got different categories of teams in the Premier League that you need to play. You've got your immediate relegation rivals. You've got the bottom mid table who you, you think they probably will survive, but you hope to pick up enough points from them to um, keep your survival hopes alive. And then you've got the powerful sides that you've got no chance again. And we've already started to play, albeit away, some of those bottom top half top half bottom sides top sorry top bottom half sides and i've seen no fights i've seen no improvement and we're being told that we've been promoted two years ahead of schedule apparently that's the official line coming out of the club um, and actually this makes perfect sense to me, um, that they had a three-year plan to get back to the Premier League. They were going to cultivate a really young side and they were going to develop them and we were going to really go for it in three years to get out of the Championship. Didn't expect to absolutely walk the Championship last season and get promoted in the manner that we did. So we're two years ahead of schedule and these players simply aren't ready for what's been presented to them. It's fine, absolutely no problem. The manager isn't ready either, by the way. He's never managed in the Premier League. I have no problem with that either. Mistakes will happen. But when you do get promoted ahead of schedule, where was plan B in the summer? Why did we carry on with that three year plan and buy the players that we did that are clearly massively inexperienced, not gelling and not playing the type of football yet that we need? Why didn't we amend that plan in the summer and bring in you know, why didn't we have a plan B for Ian Mattson at left back? Why did we not even think about um, signing a replacement for Connor Roberts at right back? Yet the inverted fullback is really important strategy for for Vincent Kompany to play. He plays them all the time. Yet he didn't look to play players to buy players who would be able to do that in a much tougher league. And it's just it's mistakes like that that are annoying me. I just think I'm I'm a very reasonable fan, and I'm a very, um, you know, I, I will give you the time that you need. But for goodness' sake, you don't help yourself when you do when you make these kind of decisions which are proving to be pretty costly. So,
2: it's yeah. I mean, you know, obviously Luton, Liverpool have got Luton this weekend. Um, Sheffield United have got a game that on paper isn't too dissimilar to the Burnley one, I'd argue. You know, they're in a situation where they're at home to a Wolverhampton Wanderers who, yeah. is, who certainly won't have Neto, um, it's worth saying. So it's a weakened Wolverhampton Wanderers side. Burnley have got this one this weekend, as I say, coming up against Palace. What I think is difficult is you can encourage supporters to be philosophical. You can get them to do the, you know, maybe this is a bit ahead of schedule, but people still need to have reason to be excited to go and watch football matches. And I think that sometimes, you know, I understand the idea of the plan and the project and I I respect it in in lots of ways, but it gets hard when suddenly it's, it's November. It's probably teaming down tomorrow. You want turf, you want atmosphere. You want people to enjoy it, and when people aren't, that's where I think it gets. You know, you can you can have all the best plans in the world, but this plan now, this project, it could actually lose momentum off the back of the fact that you've you've left people feeling a bit uninspired by it.
7: Yeah, definitely, and also as well, it, it, it's not been helped by um, the timing of some messages coming out of the club. The club have put out a few statements recently saying that they are um, they want. That They're disappointed with the atmosphere at Turf Moor and they've been saying, look, we all know it's very, yeah. And these statements have come out and said, look, it's very flat as the atmosphere. Vincent Company wants to turn it into a fortress. We need the fans to get back you know, to, to sharing them and supporting them. You know, what can we do? You know, we, they put a job advertisement for a drummer because they thought that, that would really help out the atmosphere. Now, um, what they've also done now is they've implemented a flag policy at Turf Moor, which all of these things on paper are really, really great. It's like, yeah, we all want Turf Moor to be bouncing. I I love the American culture. It's, it's, it is very American. We've got American owners, and I love that enthusiasm, and I support them, and I, I agree with the initiative. But then the statements come out and it's saying like, you know, you as fans, the turf's flat. How can we get, you know, how can we get that atmosphere going again? And then they put a, a, a statement out today saying we're going to be allowing flags, oh, but you're only allowed to use official flags that that you can buy from the club shop, and and no political flags. Yeah, which is absolutely absolutely right. And fans are just like, we've just been subjected to eight absolute drummings. We've no idea what's going on. You're then putting out statements telling us that. You, you're too flat as an atmosphere, please be better. Oh, and if you'll go to the, the club shop, please, and spend £15 on a flag and wave it at the stadium, that mm-hmm. would really help. And it's just, and that's not a, it's not a criticism of the of the, um, of the idea behind it. Yeah. I fully support our board with this. I fully support the idea. I think it's a brilliant idea. I voted for it. And I think it's great. I just wonder whether there's that disconnect that the fans are feeling is going to be enhanced by messages like this. And it's going to make them feel a little bit like, well, this is just getting worse. So that, and that would be my feedback, I think, to, to the board. It's like, look, can we, can we get better at getting collectively as one rather than at the moment, everybody's at loggerheads and everybody's taking it out and everybody else. Um, and that I think is my worry with this season um, is that nothing's working because everybody's on a different page?
2: The so, last thing then becomes with this one against Palace. It seems as though mm. he doesn't. Uh, the use of Foster's importance, the availability of Foster's importance for the game, I would think against against Palace. Is there anything? Yes. Else? There anything else you want to see him do? Uh,
7: I, he has to change the keeper, and and this is this is a really really consistent message coming out of. Um, the 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 fan base, uh, Murich, yes, he's pure Hollywood. Yes, he makes mistakes. He gives me absolute palpitations at times when he's nutmegging his attackers in the middle of his own box and trying to chip them and stuff. He, he is pure pure popcorn fodder. But his distribution was fundamental to our success last season. And Trafford is clearly an incredible future talent. Um, we've paid a lot of money for him, and I understand that. But his inexperience, his distribution, and his the level he's been exposed by a very, very weak back four in front of him, the weakest defense I'd ever seen in a Burnley lineup in the eight years we've been in the Premier League. Um, he's struggling and pressure's on him. And I think for his own good, I think he needs to have a little bit of a break. But I think I think Vincent Company could do an awful lot to prove that he's listening and he's prepared to try alternatives by giving Murich a, a chance in goal. Um, I don't think there'll be an awful lot of difference between Murich and Trafford in terms of um, shot stopping or commanding their area. I think they've both got strengths and weaknesses that are very similar in that extent but Trafford's very poor at playing out from the back in distribution and he slows the game down a little bit whereas Murich is much much better than that. And when he's played in the cup games we've, remi- we've been reminded of what a key player was last season completely get he won't be as effective as that in the Premier League that it was in championship. But that to me, I think I think there has to I think if Trafford starts against Palace and concedes any weak goals and we get a hammer in, I think Vincent Company for the first time since he got to us will face some pressure from the fans. And that's that I'm desperate to avoid because I think this guy has got an incredible future and I'd like him to stay at Burnley for a long time and continue this project. I think we've got a short term problem that we just need to fix and we need something to get that back together. And I think Murich coming in, showing us that he's prepared to be a little bit more um, flexible with his team selection and that he's listening to his fans, I think would go a long way to, to help us get behind him. I think it would lift the fans from the start, to be honest. And then that's where you get your atmosphere from.
2: Brilliant from Natalie, uh, as always. No, nay, never uh, there if you want to check them out further. Uh, we'll talk about Arsenal, but before we talk about Newcastle versus Arsenal, Alex Hurst in a minute or two. The, there's really, It's a really weird one for me, Jim, Arsenal, in that the season just feels a little bit more on the brink than it should when they're unbeaten in the league. They're beating Manchester City at home. Everything feels, everything feels like there's one goal in it or one moment in it or one little thing in it, a bit more than I thought. So it's a start that's been got through but they're also simultaneously unbeaten. You know, it's a table that looks nice on on the one hand, but on the other hand, I sent over a little graphic where... Yeah, just, li- just a little bit. Not, well, I, but I think in general, when I see Arsenal, I'm surprised they're not more creative, if you sort of see what I mean. like It's just the eye. It backs up the eye test when I've watched Arsenal. I'd say much, for much of this calendar year, but spe- certainly the new season, I've always thought, well, where's the next gear? I'm so, still
4: not quite there. So, uh, here's what I think. <clears throat> this time last season... Um, we were racing away, playing beautiful football. Everybody was like cock-a-hoop about the Arsenal, and I never had any faith that we were going to win the title. This season, we're quite clearly not playing as playing as well. And I don't disagree with anything you've said, but I feel way more comfortable with what with, with what's happening. And and it's probably easy for me to say that it's still bedding in. But if you if you if if we we're a Formula One car, we've improved the engine, right? But there's some tweaking. Of the, uh, you have know, some fine tuning yeah. of the engine that needs to take place before we start going motoring along. Now, what's interesting is I think um, our form in Europe is, is is probably the litmus test for this, in the sense that I've had some good games and had some some ordinary games. We were ordinary against Lons, but I thought we were good against uh, Severe. Really good right. result, that yeah, a really good result. Um, you know, sort of buoyed, buoyed by by the fact that we got some. Some big grown-ups in the team. Jesus is is a bit of a miss in one sense when he, you know, he can't seem to keep himself fit, Um, and I do think that that ultimately could that could end up being our undoing. But I would rather the likes of Odegaard, who I love, Saka, who I just, you know, who who wouldn't like Bukayo Saka in their side, and. I'd rather have Saka and Odegaard to have their in different form now, than in March or April. Now, that said, I still think you know uh, my kingdom for a, a thirty-goal a season striker. Um, but he seems to have a huge amount of faith in in, in, in Katia and he and he seems to I always p- makes a load of sense when he plays. Well, yeah, because he, he plays with he, he, look. It's not. It's very you know, Jesus doesn't like the game behind him. Whereas Enketi looks very, very, very comfortable with the game behind him. Havertz is still, you know, sort of in and out. Trossard seems to be loads better coming off the bench because he's like a box of frogs player. You don't quite know what you're going to get out of him. We've got, we, But we have now got improvements in our spinal. You know, I I, I, I sort of see the the point of Raya. My, 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 my heart, says Ramsdale, but my head, says Raya. Um, Why is that? Why is that? I think because like, what the manager wants to do, Kev, um Ramsdale doesn't do as effectively. Oh, it's about the
3: distribution side. The, of yeah,
4: yeah. So whereas whereas and, I know that that Raya's distribution stats haven't been awesome for Arsenal. It's the intent. He has he has a skill set that right that, that Ramsdale doesn't quite. Possess. Has he shown
3: up? Because I've, I haven't I've, I'll be honest I haven't seen a lot of them. But when I do, he looks like a goalkeeper who's been told, "Lads, you better get this right because there's someone else waiting for you there." And well, it's not necessarily about the, the shot stopping; it is about the distribution. So,
4: so I tell you, I, I, I tell you what I think about about the whole Raya Ramsdale um, thing, right? Ramsdale's three years younger than Raya, right? And I think when we signed Ra- Ramsdale, he wasn't the guy that he wanted. He wanted Raya, right? But Ramsdale got us into the Champions League, right? I think he thinks Raya can win the, win us the title. Right. I think that's what that's what he thinks. However, right, what I would say is if you're if you've got to develop a skill set, right, to perform in a team the way Arteta wants his goalkeeper to perform, you cannot do it, right, in the front of the crowd. Right. You have to go, you have to get back in the lab and, and, and work that stuff out. And I wonder whether or not he still sees Ramsdale as the long term. You know the long term guy. Surely
3: Ramsdale's not going to stick an arm for that, though.
4: Well, who knows? Right. I mean, I mean, ultimately, where does Ramsdale go from, from, from If if Ramsdale's gonna gonna leave Arsenal, right? Well, he's he's not going to go to Liverpool, right? Um, he's not going to go to City, right? There's only really Man United or Newcastle. Right, that that he could that, that he could potentially go to in terms of like either go up or or or, or, or on the same level. Any other anything else is is, is going down.
3: What is with with him though? No, what is England position? Because obviously Pickford's number one, but he's he's flaky as anything, isn't he? So if I was Ramsdale, I'd be thinking, well,
4: I think I think I think Ramsdale knows he's nowhere near the um, the Pickford conversation because because Southgate. Yeah, you know, realistically, head, well, Southgate's off his head, isn't he? You know, I mean, like you know, he's got a player in Ben White who um, is, last season was, was was head and shoulders England England's most consistent defender, right? I could can, play. In a,
3: can't come out. With, can't come out with the way he looks. Don't get me to. Benny, you, Benny, Benny, him. Benny
4: Blanco, right? <laughs> you know, um, it's all part of his. It's all part of his allure. But right, but if you can't get over yourself and still pick Harry Maguire, right, then. I, I, you know, you kind of have to say that what it is. The, the club England thing is
2: interesting because I think it will lead to players sort of go and well, almost a bit. What's the point? At least yeah. until the end of the next cycle, like he gets because he's going to pick who he's going to pick for the Euros. Yeah, and, th- you can, th- th- and he's going to do everything he can to pick Calvin Phillips and Harry Maguire. And you're a bit like, well, there's not a, there's not a. Well, Ramsdale the you... just
3: doesn't strike me as the type of fellow though. who's going to no, sit. No, I don't. I just. I don't see Raya as better than Ramsdale. I don't see them as being brilliant, but I'm just. I'm not 100 saying like how much they. Di- I think sometimes it's overplayed how much having a goalkeeper who can play out from the back is important. Now, that's not to say that it isn't important. It's very important that you can do it. But what you actually need to do, it's a limited scope, in my opinion. There's not many goalkeepers starting attacks every week. You've
4: the- got to remember, though, Paul, you've got to remember who's whispering in Arteta's ear here, right? The guy that signed, the guy that, the guy that influenced the signing of Raya was his old goalkeeping coach at Brentford, right? So he'd worked up close with Raya. Right, he wasn't Raya. Raya. It was it was Ramsdale was not first was not first pick. Now, if uh, if the manager thinks he's got his first pick, he's going to that's a hill he's clearly going to die on. But anyway, going back to the spinal thing, Saliba, Odegaard, Rice, Jesus. We've still never quite had all those all those moving parts in place at the same time. But they are showing the old
2: fashioned characteristics. They are showing the ability to grind out results. Yeah, bite down get through the
4: next 10 minutes. That would be horrible. And batter shit teams. Like at the weekend, we battered a shit team, right? Like, I, I, I have no opinion on Sheffield United other than they, they, they're that they very poor. They're as poor as Derby back in the day. And I don't think they're going to pick up many points. We've got to batter those teams. Earlier on in the season... Bournemouth. Bournemouth, right? You know, but earlier on in the season, we didn't, we didn't batter Fulham, right? But if you want to look at a marker... the game at Stamford Bridge where we were frankly awful for the long stretches of the game, right? 20 seasons on the spin, we would have lost that game, right? 100% we would have lost that game. And it's those, it's not, uh, it's not about going to Stamford Bridge and, uh, and asserting yourself, which we have done in recent years. You, know, It's not about going to Stamford Bridge and asserting yourself and going, look how bloody great we are at playing footy. It's about going to Stamford Bridge, finding yourself 2-0 down and going, bloody hell, we got out of that one, right? But we got out of that one because we rolled our bloody sleeves up and got, got, you know, got it over the line. That's one of those jobs that feels like, you know, a draw that's a win, not a draw that's a loss. Yeah, for me, Jim. though, no, I, 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 think the market is that you
5: beat Manchester City. I think that is playing shit. By the way. Yeah, I think. I think last season, I, I think the first game got postponed, didn't it? Um, yeah. When we were playing well, yeah, that was the Queen's fault. <laughs> the Queen's fault. I wasn't going to bring it up. Um, no, but I, I, was watching it the whole season. I thought there's no chance at all. Arsenal beat City. Uh, I, just, I, just thought the ten years over twice. They did. It yeah. was inevitable. I, I never thought Arsenal would win the league. I think, I think you got a few less points at this time last season, isn't it? I think, yeah. yeah. But I actually think you're in a stronger position because you've beaten City. You've got that know-how. It's a bit about when Liverpool won the league, I always remember how how many times the players referenced that once they beat Manchester, Manchester City, they knew that they could go on and win the league then. And I think that is the, the difference. I think the problem Arsenal have got at the moment is that with well, they've signed Declan Rice, which is an absolutely fantastic sign and I, I would have loved them at Liverpool. But what was very obvious in the summer with Liverpool is that he didn't sign the number 6 that we all wanted. Mm-hmm. Arsenal signed Havertz instead
4: of a top center forward and I think that will inevitably be the well, cause of the problems in the so, future. So there's two things here Pete. Right, firstly 60 million doesn't buy you a top center forward. That's the first thing, right? Right. 60 million buys you an a, a, you know, a good center forward, right? Um, but Havertz was not bought to to do that job Havertz was was bought because he wants a bunch of um, skeleton to key type players who can play in, who can play with the tactical fluidity. And the one thing that has impressed me about Arteta this season is his ability to to do in game changes to formation mm-hmm. and things like that. Now, I hear the naysayers about Havertz, and I'm not and I'm not entirely sold on him myself. But he's our guy, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because. You know he wasn't loved at Chelsea, right? And he left a massive basket case of a, of a club there. So there'll be there be. He needs to feel he's. You can quite see that he's got that kind of personality. He needs to feel loved, Kai Havertz, in order to do it. I don't think he's a. I don't think he's a first a first pick. To be fair, but to to to, you know, to, to echo your point there. I I mean I was on the last time I was on it was, was the preview of the City game, and I and I joked. I said that you know um, as long as as long as the ball goes in off Jorginho's ass. Right, I don't care how we play, right, and who's are it did come off it did go in <laughs> off someone's arse. <laughs> Neil, it couldn't have gone any better I than think, I yeah. said it could. Right. I, mean, I think the mad habits thing is he scored it we're in a Champions League final. I think he's really
2: good. I just had to double check that it was in, but I remember the yeah. run come across. Yeah. I think he's really good. I think it's just more the fit
5: and where, where yeah, the fit is. I, I think he's a good player, but I don't think he fits into the modern four three three system. I well, think I'm he's sure I think he's an old like um Timotabe, Yeah, he's one who plays off the the, the, the top guy. No, no, I think it's interesting.
2: But he I wants know. him
4: as a le- he wants him as an alternative left eight in in one sense, or in games where you've got to play with your back to the goal, right? And you don't really you don't really play with out and out centre forwards. We don't, I, you know, other than Eddie and Ketia, who's still learning the game at that level. We don't have an out and out centre forward, yeah. right? Gabi Jesus, you could say what you like about him, great footballer though he is, he's not an out-and-out centre forward. No, he's sometimes. one of those, he's one of those guys that we've got, those tricky inside forwards. We've got a bunch of them. It's the thing that England have got an abundance of. You know, I, I have said 100 percent you know, my kingdom for a Nunes, my kingdom for a Haaland, but everybody wants that player. You know they don't they don't grow on trees. I mean, even I'm not I'm not sold on the idea of Tony, if I'm honest. But because Brentford are now talking a hundred million, but that's 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 the thing. A hundred millions what you need.
2: There we are, uh, Alex Hurst on Newcastle before we talk about the game. Newcastle United are off the back of well, you could describe them uh, as heroics in Manchester, but would you describe crossing the road? Or something banal like that As a particularly heroic act uh, Newcastle United well, Embarrassed And embarrassed Manchester United By three goals to nil um, The key thing about it though Alex And the reason why there will be A fair bit of celebration Around it From a Newcastle point of view Is that it happens With a markedly changed team His centre-back partnership Is Paul Dummett And Emile Kraft Who is making his first appearance In God knows how long He used target At the heart of the midfield He had Lewis Hall He had Livramento In there as well uh, Richie Matt Richie features in there. Obviously, Joe Willock takes another step back in terms of his recovery. The point is, the reason why Newcastle are and have reason to be jubilant, jubilant isn't the idea of beating a sad Manchester United, it's doing it, having made those sorts of changes.
1: Yes, and Nony, I, I agree with you predominantly, but we'd had won once in 41 years, little traffic, okay, <laughs> before last night. Um. So, and I think that the only other side that comes close to that is is Liverpool when we won in the early nineties, and again, or maybe twice in forty years at Liverpool, once in forty years at Old Trafford. So this is massive just to go there and win. Massive to do it with maybe three first team players is, is 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 more satisfying, if anything, because let's let's be clear, Newcastle are missing six first team players through injury, and they made seven changes. So you're down to like like you've said you're down to your Paul Dummett's enemy of crafts and Paul Dummett in particular probably doesn't expect to play this season. He didn't play last season at all. Um, and for him to you know Paul Dummett has now kept clean sheets this season against Man City and Man United, which is some going for for a lad who doesn't expect to play any first team football whatsoever. So yeah, tremendously satisfying night.
2: When you you think about the, those changes, the, the the ones that the manager will feel with everything else he's got going on, he needs to make. Uh, at this point. I think that it's worth you know being clear about that. You mentioned before with the injuries as well. Uh, A couple of players in there. Callum Wilson is a player who we've seen in the past is prone to injury. Uh, He does pick up knocks here and there, so he needs to be protected. It is a new challenge for the manager, and he will be absolutely delighted. for A new challenge for his players as well that they've passed that one with flying colours against United.
1: Absolutely huge, Neil. Uh, Maybe the people who aren't... Newcastle fans, there isn't uh, uh, maybe an appreciation of just how important this week was. You know, to be clear, in a the, in the, in the kind of seven-day period, Newcastle most likely should have gone out of the League Cup. There's a chance with Arsenal at home at the weekend, they could have gone, say, eight points behind Liverpool with 11 played. And they probably, even though I'm going to the game in Germany, might be out of the Champions League. And how it's to look at those three fixtures and those three possibilities and make seven changes for the first game just to put a side out against Arsenal at the weekend so to come that to come through that to get through to win it to win 3-0 without really breaking a sweat it's just it's kind of the stuff dreams I made of the manager in particular because it just could not have gone any better
2: So it's what it does for the rest of the season how it opens that season up you mentioned this game against Arsenal and it is worth sort of pointing out the way that table currently looks. I mean, I would argue, to an extent, almost forget Liverpool, it's five points behind Aston Villa, a side who Newcastle battered first game of the season. So this one coming up against Arsenal, and you mentioned the full week, but then the game that follows against Dortmund, and it's worth saying that obviously that turns itself round. It's half five against Arsenal, that it's quarter to six on Tuesday against Dortmund. The, these games, they are two absolutely massive ones back-to-back, aren't they? And they're not quite season-defining as such, but... Newcastle don't want to feel as though they need Snookers uh, to feel as though they can get back in the Champions League by mid-November.
1: Definitely, and I agree with you. They're not season-defining, but if you lose them both, they're going to be referenced all season. All season, you're going to be talking about those four days when uh, when you when you lost at home to Arsenal and uh, and and then lost in Dortmund. And it's funny for us being in the Champions League for the first time because he kind of it was 20 years ago, the last seminar, but you kind of forget that even though it's this massive competition, everyone wants to be in and it dominates your thoughts, and particularly in the lead-up to the games. But the Premier League is still the most important competition you play by some distance, by some distance. Um, Funnycastle, anyway. They don't have a realistic opportunity, chance of winning the Champions League, probably. Uh, they have a realistic chance of getting into the top four, top five this season in the Premier League. And in terms of the more important of the two games... I think that they must not lose to Arsenal. I think they must not lose that game. We could lose in Dortmund, and you, you still might go through. Some miracle happens. You win in Paris, which is you know it seems ridiculous, but we beat them four-one at our place. Absolutely, uh, yeah. So, so that Arsenal game is 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 the in terms of seeing, de- defining it's it's a must not lose that one. I, hopefully, we'll win it, and we, I think we can win it. But um, you're correct to look at, at Aston Villa, you know, as, as a team that we, we really want to be kind of rubbing shoulders with all season at least. And they've got European consideration as well, so it's not even like they have a we have an advantage or they have an advantage over us in terms of midweek football. Uh, that they did get knocked out of the uh, the League Cup to a terrible the side, so we're ahead of them in that respect.
2: You don't have to is... remind me of that, Alex. I'm still annoyed with them about it. It's the only <laughs> the only foot to put wrong all season for me. <laughs> um, therefore, then you know, does uh, is your view with that Arsenal game coming that it sort of the team sort of picks itself? given the fact that we can expect you know, the players who were rested for that one to return, given the injury issues, do you think anyone's elbowed their way in, Liveramento or Hall, to the idea of being picked? Or do you think he, they may well have the chance of getting selected in Dortmund instead, if they've shown enough in the game against Manchester United? Is that how you think he'll do it?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone gets in. The only interesting area, uh, to me anyways, is midfields, because he now has fit... Joe Linton, Longstaff, Gromarish and Willock. And he's he's going to pick three from those four. And it'll be interesting to see who misses out. Joe Willock is back from a long, long hamstring injury. But he play, he plays last night and he just he just looks another level to, to most of the midfielders on that pitch. And Man United, for all of their many flaws, they have some good, individual, talented midfielders. And Joe Willock just looks better than them, faster than them, quicker than them, more able than them on the ball. And, and pretty much everything Newcastle did good last night, Willock was involved. Yeah. So it's who he leaves out, but the chances are he probably does leave Willock out for me. Saying that and plays Joel Ince Gomarish, and Longstaff, the rest of the team completely picks itself. The full-backs, Newcastle's defensive record this season is still really good. Um, you'll pick that back for, you know, Jamal Lasells, who, you know, played something like 180 Premier League minutes last season, where he now finds himself being rested for Man United away in the League Cup, such as of importance to the side in, in Botman's absence so yeah team picks itself apart from in, apart from in midfield where, where it probably actually does pick itself but at least there's a decision and a conversation for how to have with the player
2: But do you think he may then make a few changes for Dortmund off the back of that because there is a quick turnaround time and do you think he'll have that in mind and the other thing to point out obviously is he does have five subs so he could also use them for that game against Arsenal as well
1: I think, I think he does make changes for Dortmund I think Jacob Murphy is an interesting one about whether he'll come back in, for, possibly for Dortmund. Um, how this season almost had two midfields that he wanted to play. You had a Champions League midfield which featured Sandro Tonali um, and, and possibly Elliot Anderson, and then you had a kind of a league midfield which was going to feature Joe Linton and Longstaff, and that's now gone for for the Tonali reasons. So I think you have to. I think I think the, the intensity Dortmund played at St James's. It shouldn't. I'm sure it wouldn't have shocked the coaching staff and the players who prepare for these things, but having watched Milan and having watched Paris, Dortmund were on a different level intensity-wise and and athleticism-wise, and that, that means you probably do have to make changes for, for that reason alone.
2: So, What's your prediction for the Arsenal game? You feel it is a definite must-not-lose at this stage of the season. Um,
1: how do you see it going? It's a really hard one, Neil. I'm, I'm always inclined to say we'll win because we're at home, and we have to win at home because we've dropped points on the road this season you know we dropped we had a mad last 10 minutes against Liverpool and then we conceded late goals against from winning positions against Wolves and West Ham and we'd be second if we hadn't fucked that up as badly in the last 10 minutes and that's frustrating because last season that wasn't us we were the team predominantly who could see our games fairly comfortably so if we're going to be a little bit more shaky on the road away from home we need to be almost perfect at home and Arsenal are an interesting team for lots of reasons but even though they're very, very good, you still feel like you can get at them. Um, you still feel like they're they're prone to collapses, prone to kind of these mad moments where Arteta stood there at full time kind of taking responsibility and saying he's taking responsibility and saying it's on him, but clearly having a massive go at his squad. Um, so I think we'll win for that reason. We, you know, we played them last year at our place and we could have been 2-0 up inside the first 10 minutes, hit the post, had a penalty overturned on VAR, which is debatable still to me, and it just feels like if that had gone against Arsenal the game would have would have ended up 2-3 for Newcastle. So if Newcastle can can replicate that kind of intensity early on, I think we'll win the game too now.
2: Excellent stuff. Let's get back over. Great stuff from Alex there.
5: Newcastle versus Arsenal. I'd say you <coughs> go think peace. I think it's a really interesting game. Really interesting. It, yeah, it really is interesting. I think it's hard to call, to be honest with you. Um, I think the way Newcastle, they've gone away to Old Trafford. Uh, that would give them a massive confidence boost. Everyone's beaten Man United at the moment, but it, you've still got to go there and I think it was something like 80 odd years since they won 3-0 at, at that grounds so it's under the lights St James's Park um, on a Saturday night so you, you, they're going to be feeling really good going into it but I, I just think Arsenal getting beat at West Ham sort of it helps Arteta it helps him in the fact that I don't think they even wanted to be in the competition um, his post-match interview is a bit interesting as well when he come out and he's he, he, he blamed himself. Um but then t- explained in the interview that he warned them for 48 hours that this might happen. Now, so he so he took the responsibility for them, but it was like, Well, I haven't warned you enough that this might happen. And then how how do we how do we go about this at the game? And it was we use this pain. And I think he's sometimes when things are going all right or and they're not going as well as you hope they are. Sometimes you do need to feel a little bit of pain, and and I think if Arsenal do want to go and win trophies and and they do want that elusive Premier League, it's been it's twenty years at the end of the season, isn't it? They're going to have to um, they're going to have to win games like this, and I think he's tapping into whatever it is he can do into the players' mentality, and I actually fancy Arsenal to go there and win. The interesting Arsenal thing, Kev, is that last season,
2: they don't win the league, but they do win at Newcastle. And they actually do quite well on the road against the better sides. This is one of the things I've said. I think it draws a fine result for Arsenal here. Just get in and get out. I think just don't lose. Stay in the hunt. Stay around everyone around you. And I think that's almost what's going to do Newcastle in. Because whilst I think a point's sort of fine for Newcastle, you look at what the table's currently saying to you. If you are Newcastle, there's a chance that you're a bit more panicked. Because if you get a point and Villa win then you're suddenly going, well, we're, we're now seven behind Villa and they've already been to St. James's Park. And by the way, we whacked them. We can't do any more than that, but yet we're seven behind them. Liverpool have already been to St. James's Park. If they now go and beat Luton and we've only got a point, we're now eight behind Liverpool <coughs> and we want to stay in the Champions League places. And I think that it's a funny one, this, where I think the longer the game goes and it's tight, the likelier it is that Newcastle panic. And therefore, if Arsenal can keep the nerve, I think it's in a position where Arsenal could find a way to nick it later on.
3: Yeah, 100% wouldn't surprise me. I, to be honest, if you'd offered me results either way now, even though Arsenal are obviously ahead of us, I wouldn't just be. I think it's just because I hate Newcastle. I'd like to just see them get beat and be like, you're miles out of this now. Like, obviously, it's, it's early on in the season to be saying stuff like that, but 17 points, and if we win, which you'd expect us to do at the weekend we're on 26, do you know what I mean? That, that's, a, that's a big aisle gap, that. To, to and you still and got to come to Anfield. Well, and also, the, fa- the fact of the matter is, the teams that are in the top four are not dropping points in loads of games. There's a couple of games each that where the points have gone, so it's not like there's inconsistencies in there. It's four very, well, five if you include including Aston Villa, which obviously you should do if you're, if you're talking about points dropped in games because they're the same as Liverpool, they only dropped points in three games. But Newcastle, the, as I said, I said before, I think the Overrated, I don't think they'd be anywhere near the top four this year just because they've got the Champions League thing. It's come a little bit early for them, and I think they're just getting found out a little bit. I think teams are now realising, okay, you've got to have a Newcastle plan. You often say it, that sometimes a team just comes comes around and they're fantastic. And Moyes used to be great at it every, every other year, they'd be decent, then everyone would have the video and they'd work them out, and that was it. And it feels a little bit like Newcastle at the minute. That being said, you wouldn't be surprised if they, if they nicked the win against the Arsenal which is one of them games that can go either way to me I'm
2: intrigued that Arsenal go to Newcastle gym at the end of last season when I thought Arsenal were, were really rocked they yeah. were really in a bad way
4: mm-hmm.
2: and they have to ride the luck a bit yeah. but they also go there May the 7th and it feels a bit like they've got a year of the Newcastle video and they know we're going to have to suffer in these periods but we come out the other side it's one of the last games Arsenal play in the campaign and in the end, in the end, they get the two 0 there. And I just sort of think that, as Kev said, I think there's an element of they've they've got a Newcastle plan and they're going to execute it. So
4: I would go back to the season before last, where the, where the wheels fell off on our Champions League uh, qualification. The, the team looked; it, it, it was was pulling tugs, it was running on running on fumes, and we really came unstuck against against Newcastle when there was still something to play for. And I think that really hurt. Um, Arteta. It certainly, yeah, you know, it was definitely reflected in the All or Nothing documentary how much it how much it hurt him. And as a consequence of that, I think it's just one of those places where he just doesn't want to go and repeat that experience. Um, and the difference is, I think, I don't think Newcastle have evolved so much since that game, you know, to reflect. A massive improvement in their fortunes, and the players that you know that have, that have come into the team, like um, the lad who plays up front, whose name just uh, Isaac. Uh, thank you. Um, you know, he had a good season last season, but he's, know, injured them, uh, he's, so he's injured at the minute. He's injured, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so uh, again, so are you going to win? Well, I, I kind of am with you in the sense of a draw isn't the worst thing in, in, in the world because I know. I know on paper we've, we've, we've drawn three now, which is essentially you know, the, you know, the equivalent to two defeats. But draws have momentum. Defeats feel, mm-hmm. defeats feel worse than draws. And you're away games when you're playing against good teams and Newcastle are a good side. You know, but I would, I, I would take your point, but I, I, I'm confident we can get a win it'd be a big point I do think it would be
2: well it'd be a good point uh, regardless uh, from an Arsenal point of view it's worth saying their last game in this run of fixtures then is Burnley yeah. so it's one of those really
5: where it's, it's a good point and you, you don't need to win every game um, especially away to the top 10 but I, I actually think Arsenal will do it um, I'm, I, I understand Kev because Newcastle wind me up as well but I, I'd rather Newcastle win Just, just for the Liverpool's title challenge. Um, I'm not worried about Newcastle. And I'm do a petty need...
3: man, normally. <laughs> I'm,
5: I'm <laughs> petty, but Newcastle have got to come to Anfield, like we, like we said before, but it's also a Monday night game there. So we all know what happens on Monday night football. But I also
4: think, Pete, just to just to come in there, is like, I don't think Newcastle are part of any... Any serious conversation around titles, whereas I think Liverpool are absolutely, and I have, I have again been on record on here and saying that I've never had any doubt. I thought Liverpool would be Liverpool. Everything that Liverpool have done this season is, is as I've predicted. Okay, um, more of that to come in a minute or two. Uh,
2: let's start with for- next one is Forest Aston Villa on Forest. Then uh, it's Kev. I. <coughs> Does, uh... They were disappointed at Anfield. Um, I was fine with it, don't get me wrong, but they, they just didn't look like they had that much of a plan. And he's a good manager, I've always thought he's a good manager, he gets to team organised. And I was surprised how, how little of a plan they had. And they just seem a little bit, well, they seem like another new team, if you know what I mean. I think they're going to be fine, obviously, because I we keep saying, you know, the bottom three just feel so much like the bottom three, and they should be absolutely fine. But I do think Villa are playing them at a good time. Uh, it's, it's both a test for Villa because it's so much built on the home form, the Villa, the Villa run. But I also feel a little bit like... And I think Liverpool ended up playing them at a good time, you know, a couple of injuries up top and all that sort of stuff. But you'd expect us to win at home anyway. I do feel that with your Villa, you're thinking, this will do this. This is a good time to play these. They're not quite themselves.
3: Yeah, I think that's you look at the positions in the table and that it says that. But as you just said there, Aston Villa's success is very much built on home form and they've had a couple of they've had a couple of shockers earlier away from home. I think we were saying before Newcastle gave them one. I, it wouldn't, they wouldn't
2: consider five at Newcastle and three at Liverpool and they never they never looked in the game at Liverpool. If Liverpool had wanted it to be five, it
3: would have been five. That's what I mean. So they've got it in them. You say they're about um, Forrest struggling last week, I thought we were just brilliant last week, I thought the uh, consumer's professional performance and it was a, very much the same thing where if we didn't need to score five goals, we'd have scored five goals, no problems whatsoever. Hopefully Villa, uh, Forrest can do Liverpool a favour and sort of give Villa a bit of a bloody nose and just get them to drop back into the pack a little bit, which would be handy for us. Forrest at home, <laughs> I think you can overplay the home form type of thing, can't you? But... That's where they get the points from. So it, again, well, they
2: have been beating at home yet this season. It's three draws, don't get me wrong, but they haven't been beating
3: at home yet this season. That's what I mean. So if they've got decent home form, Villa have got, not bad away form, I'm not saying, but patchy, If you, I think it's fair to say. So it's got all all the makings there for Forrest to get something out of the game. I think for Liverpool, that'd be, just, that'd be dead handy.
2: I think there's something in it, Jim, where of all the games this weekend in a really weird way, you know, I'd even include Sheffield United Wolves, um, I'd even include Brentford West Ham, which I think might go that way. I think that the top the, the Fulham Man United and Forrest Villa are the two that I think will be defined by the first goal if Forrest score first and they give themselves something to hang on to and fight for then I think that Villa might find it really difficult and Villa do a lot of really good work on the counter but if Villa score first you feel as though if Forrest then have to come out Villa could just pick them off
4: well it, it certainly breaks up Cooper's kind of methodology isn't it around how he sets his teams up yeah. um, he, the, 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 he likes to be difficult to break down and hit teams on the break that's kind of the way Unai likes to set up as well. Unai's teams have been, you know, traditionally certainly under when he's when he's been at Villa. Interesting one, this one because I don't know how good the Villa are, and and I think you know Forest away on a windy day feels like a good a good sort of exploration into into sort of where where they are because even in Europe they've been a little bit yeah 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 do. hit and miss you know. Watkins is banging though, isn't he? You know, uh, he's it's great he's, as yeah, well. you know, he, again, the, you, you're looking at 100 million pound strikers. He's your 100 million pound striker right there uh, because he's he's got all kinds of tricks in his book. Um, it's funny because Forrest, again, 10 points. There's your quarter. There's your quarter quarter of your points. If you're looking for if you're looking for 40, um, I don't think Forest will get 40 points. But I th- they already look as safe as ours is to me. Um, that's the funny part about
2: this one is that back to that idea that Forrest could just play with, with a bit more freedom they didn't do that at Anfield though uh, I think that's <coughs> one of my things now I'd take Kev's point I think Liverpool do do a good job on them especially in the first half period I think they need Ivan Ewe to be back Forrest I think if they can add play off him play around him I think they can get something
5: Yeah I'm, so- I'm sorry to go back to Kev's point but I do agree with it I thought Liverpool was excellent I thought we just stopped them playing in their own half and it was under difficult circumstances with what was going on in the, in the squad at the time but this time last year for us we were rock bottom, so I think ten points. Um, they put a the bit your hand off. I think they they'll be absolutely buzzing with that. Having said that, they they have had quite a few. They haven't won for a few games now have they? So they'll, they'll be looking at this as a fixture going into it, thinking we we're, we're going to have to use our home form and and try and get the three points. But they have had two notable draws. Um, one against Burnley, one against Luton, and you you think. The teams that you you've got to be beating. You're five points clear to them. A, a, a five points clear for the bottom three. You just win one of them. That's seven points. But
4: they didn't then do mad things like at the early part of the season. Kev is like play really well against Arsenal and United and get nothing out of the games. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. you know. And so which way do you want it? And yeah. Chelsea
2: as well. Yeah, uh, they get the get the win at Chelsea. Uh, it will be it'll be a, it'll be a game worth watching. Uh, Forest versus before Bordy Liverpool. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> <what> <laughs> the listeners didn't know because you could be looking at Kev <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely fine. You have to give the game away too. <laughs> that's <time. laughs> why I was like, that's fine. That one we will get over. That one we will be all right in a minute. It's like,
4: the global reach of the Anfield Raps exactly. See, they just all sound like generic scousers <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's,
2: uh, don't stop pulling the house of cards down <laughs> around. <laughs> around. It's, that, it's four fellas doing polices <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's,
4: there's, there's one person in here ladies and gentlemen uh, and it's just me <laughs>
2: <laughs> there is uh, Luton will beat someone at Kenilworth Road uh, I know that uh, Kevin Peter talked about it Luton will beat someone at Kenilworth Road I just don't think it'll be Liverpool Jim and the reason why I don't think it'll
4: be Liverpool is because Virgil Van Dyke exists Virgil Van Dyke exists in um, in He looks. He somehow seems bigger than he was, right? Like a more majestic than he than he was. I think we were talking on the way in here. I think, in all seriousness, I mean, I love Virgil van Dijk. I, I, you know, I've just got absolute time for him as a man and as a player. I think he's just a wonderful uh, athlete. But I do think when you have an injury of that seriousness, we can't overplay how long it takes to just get back in your groove. And quite rightly. He may never be that that player. Well, how could you be that player from you know 2020? But at the same time, what an impossible conundrum for a player, who, for a striker who's never come up with someone of that kind of quality. Yeah, Morris is so important to Luton. Uh, and when
2: they do beat someone at Kenilworth Road, Morris will be part of it. But Morris has got to deal with Virgil van Dijk and he's mm. never known likes in his life as to what's going to happen here.
3: Van Dijk, James, brings a good point there about how could you get back to where he was was 2019 2020 whatever before the injury he, just, he i think last season that was the problem he was probably looking towards that and i think this season he's probably realized that there's a there's a different path for him now and he's still unbelievable like he's not getting into he's not getting into races with people anymore because that's not his strength now but he always adds other strengths to that but
4: those great center backs right who had those prolonged careers um yeah, over the last 20 years players yeah like Tony Adams Maldini Maldini you know, even going back as far as somebody like Paul McGrath, right they just know how to play that position really well they and know that's how to, what it looks like long yeah long. they know how to run their strikers and you know the, a lot of good I mean you saw it with Haaland, didn't you like Harland even even though hes still got extraordinary um, you know a, a record this season there's certain quality players have sort of Got a little bit more of a sign on him, Yeah, you know. Saliba in particular would be a good example of that. I think people have just got a little bit more of a plan, yeah. It's quite interesting, and the, yeah. <laughs> and yeah but, also
2: I th- but also, I think that obviously it's all made a little bit easier at the minute because there isn't a Kev De Bruyne. It's easier to have a plan when there's not a fellow who's about to play the best through ball you've ever seen in your life and to kick in the goal
3: 14 times a game, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just waiting for you to mess up on two of them. Um, and then he's just going to kick it in the goal. We'll do a little bit of Monday, we often don't, but I think Chelsea are weird, they're playing Tottenham, talking are the league leaders, Pete. Um, I, I've got no sense of how that game's going to go because of the nature of the sides that Tottenham have mostly played so far but it is worth pointing out they've got a result against Arsenal got a 2-2 draw got a result against Liverpool albeit in very fraught circumstances they beat Man United but then everyone does these days but they have played some teams I just sort of feel though like Chelsea are just a really odd package that Tottenham are going to have to deal with and they might just frustrate them and they might get something but genuinely
5: like anything could happen on Monday night as, as, as odd as that is yeah, again, I t- totally agree. But I, it's the most likely result's probably a draw. But Pochettino, you know, he's gonna want to go there. He got sacked, didn't he? So he's gonna have something to prove. Um, he got wronged. He got more than sacked. He was wrong. He got he got <laughs> wronged. But, but on Pochettino, though, I, for me, I I think he's a little bit of a fraud as well. Um, <laughs> I, I, just, I just used to st- think so, you know. I, Stick it I to, to everyone longer. here, aren't we? No, I'm, 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 no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm Come on! I, I'm ju- I, to me, it just reminds me of a Posh Rafa Benitez without the trophies. Like yeah. I, I, what he won apart from the French league, and even in this first season, he messed that one up, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, someone else won it. So, who do you think is the better manager,
4: Emery or Pochettino? Um, Emery, without a doubt. Interesting. Yeah, I, I just think
5: circumstances sometimes get you certain roles, and and, and uh, at different times of your life. I think Rafa Benitez, if we go back to him, he, he hit a good point in his in his time going to Liverpool at that point but he won two La Ligas with Valencia, Valencia, and he won the UEFA Cup and stuff. Pochettino's won nothing. I think he's just, he looks good in a suit, he speaks a good game, he's in a job now. Um, I don't think he'll turn this around how everyone thinks he will I think Chelsea will come good eventually I think they will be a tricky opponent on Monday night the game that we're supposed to be talking about <laughs> um, <laughs> and, but, and I think it, it, they will be a problem throughout the season I, 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 I don't look forward to facing Chelsea at any point under Pochettino I just am not convinced by it
4: Firstly I'm really here for Pochettino <laughs> being like in 12th or wherever he is with, uh, with Chelsea I'm not here for Tottenham being top of the league and unbeaten <laughs> right so something has to give, and I sort of think that on Monday night, I think it's going to be a really, really exciting game. Don't get me wrong, I think Tottenham have have been the form team, they play really well you know the first phase of the season, I like, and a little bit of six coming into my mouth and say this, I like Ange poster You like, can't not like him, yeah. I know obviously there's a yeah, like, you know, obviously as a gun of yours, you know, as Fitz d- isn't having him. Right, just well, he Does he think he's a fraud? Just not him. Does <laughs> he just think he's ge- a fraud? Just in
2: general, not having him. We couldn't go into any more detail other than I'm just not having him. Uh, which well, is, there we are.
4: There we are. Well, I, I'm going to say that some I, positions that, to take that, up. That, <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It's, it's just. It's. It is. It is.
3: It is. As a man who's taken up some absolutely indefensible, I yeah, yeah. yeah. took up some positions in my
2: time. And <laughs> yeah. yes, go on. The, the, the
4: thing is, right about this particular game, I think this is the pick. The, the pick of the games this weekend, and it's it's a shame that it's kind of a Monday night game. because they always seem a little bit after the fact, but there's something about this one. It, it, and I, I don't buy into the romance that the, the media will try to big it up around the, yo know, Potch coming back to it, but that that's that an added thing. I think what's interesting is that Chelsea and Tottenham fucking hate each other. Yep. Yeah. Right. They really, you know, speaking as a gooner, right? But like Chelsea don't like Arsenal and Tottenham don't like Arsenal, but Chelsea and Tottenham, it's, bitter. It's really, really nasty stuff, and there's been a lot of churn between managers there, so there's a lot going on in that game. I'm kind of with you, I'm not sure Pete, how you call it, right, but if I thought the wheels were going to come off at Tottenham, maybe it's Monday night. I think it's a tough one. I think, I think, I think it could well be bitterly contested. I think it
2: could well be tight. Um, that's the other thing I think, and I also wonder if one or two of Chelsea's players are just beginning to come into a little more of form in in the round. I still think there's going to be individual games where they throw mad ones in and all that sort of stuff. But I do sort of think, for instance, Caicedo and Fernandes. I think Fernandes looked great all season. Caicedo feels like he's gone up a little bit of a level last couple of weeks. I think Sterling's a good player. I think is though. Obviously Tottenham are doing well as well and I think they're gonna they're gonna I think Tottenham are gonna try and rise above it. And I wonder if Chelsea are gonna drag them in.
3: I, I hope so because we were talking before about um, Tottenham having a fair wind and the, uh, the way it's gone for them and no European football and it seems to be very much the running downhill. I mean, so it's quite easy for them to pick up pace and they could quite easily tell themselves a story that, that obviously they face Liverpool and they end up getting the win there. But it's been spoken about how they've had the easiest start of the season, but then they beat Chelsea, regardless of where Chelsea actually are in the league, because of the bitterness of it, they can tell themselves a story of and now we've done Chelsea as well. And so yeah. we go on to the next one and we're ready for that one as well. And before you know it, season's momentum is a it's a real thing, isn't it, in football? And I'd just like to see Tottenham's just I'd like have just a little break in that momentum and let's just see where they're at then.
2: Okay, excellent stuff. Thank you very much indeed to Kev, to Peter, and to Jim. We've had Jack, Alex, and Natalie on the phone as well. It's been your Friday show. See you later on.
7: Sports Social Podcast Network.